Remember Vice? Remember BuzzFeed? How about the dissident left? All dead, and murder is the case. But who's the real killer? Expert witness Gavin McGinnis is with us to spill all the lore. I am James Polis. It's Zero Hour. Ten years ago this week, Edward Snowden changed American history. But he changed the future, too. We're living in it. One week before he lifted just a corner of the rug carpeting over our new regime, the one that now has all but replaced the country we knew, Americans tuning in to Real Time with Bill Maher heard a puzzling message from the world to come. Sitting between Obamacare architect Neera Tanden and some third person I no longer remember sat one James Polis. Bill had steered the conversation toward the possibility of government overreach. And I cautioned the panel that just because the Bush administration had ostensibly shuttered its total information awareness project didn't mean the military-industrial complex, the intelligence community, or the administrative state weren't still pursuing exactly that. Not for the first time on that panel, I drew some funny faces, and not the haha kind either. But yesterday's riddle is, today, no laughing matter. In the wake of Snowden's disclosures and others to follow, some of the most vociferous criticism of our government crossing the deep state Rubicon came not from the right, but the left. In the long, often sad 2010s, if you wanted to hear from people mad about malevolent government, angry about corporate corruption, wary of the globalization agenda, and fired up about protecting the little guy, chances were you had to look to the so-called dissident left. I should know. After the financial crisis blew out my hopes of landing a tenure-track job in academic political theory, I'll wait for you to finish laughing, I left the Beltway Swamp for the relatively noble and upright world of Hollywood, where, as a disaffected conservative fronting an indie rock band, I was the perfect token right-winger for high-profile new media brands like Vice, Good, Riot, The Huffington Post, and The Young Turks. I worked with them all, and yes, made lots of trendy friends. We were cresting a wave, riding the dragon, speaking our minds. We were the thorn in the side of the increasingly smug and aloof Obama administration. The one that began America's proud tradition of painting rainbow colors on killer robots, tasked to take out those unfortunate souls listed on its so-called disposition matrix. One name that didn't appear on any lists, at least none leaked or otherwise made public, belonged to one of the rising stars in my circle of hot media friends. His name was Michael Hastings. Michael skyrocketed to fame as a real-deal conflict journalist, the kind that made Vice's potentate Shane Smith a very wealthy man. Michael had both the access and the balls to take down Obama's top dog in Afghanistan, General Stanley McChrystal, with a single kill shot of his own, one scorching story in Rolling Stone magazine. I wasn't a part of Michael's inner circle, but I was close enough to see, firsthand, what he had helped achieve a creative, confident nerve center of anti-establishment politics in the heart of Los Angeles, centered around Oliver Stone and expanding across time zones to include the likes of Glenn Greenwald, who had recommended me as an in-studio guest to the Young Turks before he became an enemy of the state. But Glenn, as you probably know, is still with us, alive and well. And the same, alas, cannot be said of Michael. 
A scant 12 days after Glenn first published Snowden's bombshells, Michael's Mercedes, with Michael behind the wheel, veered abruptly off the pavement traveling south on Highland Avenue, just past Melrose, across from Matza Pizzeria, and impacted one of the tall, glamorous palm trees lining the median. The vehicle instantly burst into flames and charred the victim, quote, beyond recognition. This event took place shortly before 4.30 in the morning that dark Tuesday. BuzzFeed chief Ben Smith, who had Michael on payroll, told the press he was shocked and devastated. But words like that couldn't capture the body blow that had caved in the hearts of Michael's friends and loved ones and swiftly shattered the dissident media scene that he had proven to be the heart of. So began what became the systematic roll-up of the dissident left, eventually sidelining even Bernie Sanders and transforming the Democrats from a party with a partisan base mobilized against corruption, globalization, and militarization into one where both the elites and the foot soldiers were slavishly devoted to all those once so terrible things. I don't know exactly what happened to Michael that terrible night, but I didn't tell the press when they came calling that I knew where Michael had been before he climbed into his car, agitated but very unsuicidal, and began what he had intended to be a quick trip out of town. I knew the last two people he had spoken to before he died, and I knew what he had said to them. I knew something was very wrong, and I knew nobody was ever going to find out what it was. No investigation into Michael's death was forthcoming. His coroner's report was unceremoniously sealed. He had disappeared into a hole as dark and obliviating as any of his country's secret and illegal black sites. And so, in a sense, his country had done the same. I've never spoken publicly about any of these details until now. Ten years of silence can do that to you. The list of people present at the creation of the first political media scene in the age of social media was short in 2013, and the list of those still kicking today is shorter still. There's never been a proper retrospective of just what happened to our government, our media, and our political institutions since Michael Hastings was so quickly removed from the national equation. Even though, with the benefit of hindsight, the strange concurrence of the death of new media and the death of the dissident left goes beyond the realm of the uncanny and into the realm of the suspect. It stinks, not just with the stench of death, but of murder most foul. In just one episode of this show, even this first episode, we can't provide the exhaustive post-mortem or autopsy that would do justice to all the victims involved. But we can make a start. And to me, at least, there's no one better to help us do exactly that than Mr. Gavin McGinnis. Gavin is simultaneously the most misunderstood and the most canceled man in America. To us, he's the hipster guy who created Vice after playing in punk bands and later started a patriotic men's club called The Proud Boys. To the left, he's the face of hate, a venomous bigot with a personal army he uses to terrorize anyone who stands in his way. Who knows? Maybe he's both. Born in England to Scottish parents, he moved to Canada at a young age and spent his formative years in Montreal before emigrating to New York City in the late 1990s. He has a wife who is Indian American and three kids and says his focus these days is pulling down woke culture and pushing up the American family. Less fur babies, he often says, more human ones. Gavin hosts his own show called Get Off My Lawn, which can be found on his network, Censored.tv. Here he is with us now, Gavin McInnes. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, under the circumstances. Apocalyptic skies in New York. You made it out okay? Yeah, that was, Wednesday was nuts. The whole city was yellow. I've never seen that in my half century on Earth. It was crazy. Just as the hipster plague finally had left New York, <laughs> in comes... Uh, 
the toxic cloud of Canada. Yeah, that was the end. It, it, but it, it only lasted for a day. Much like hipsterism itself. No, in, in all seriousness, though, you, you self-identify as a hipster. Is that, is that no, still valid? A hipster, <clears throat> a hipster is defined as someone between the ages of 18 and 25 who has an abnormal obsession with pop culture, particularly alternative music and fashion. And then takes on those characteristics as a, a badge of identity. It becomes a self-identifier, like it, punk or mod yeah, or skinhead yeah. or any other thing. And you, you were the punk guy. You were in punk bands? I was in punk bands in the 80s, yes. You got to be in at least five in order to really be punk. Is that, <laughs> is that how it goes? There was a lot of rules with punk. Yeah. Like your Dr. Martens had to be uh, uh, laced a certain way with the parallel threads and your cufflinks had to be this big and your motorcycle jacket had to be of, of a certain thickness and... You had to, your mohawk couldn't have any hair here. It had to be bald here. Lots of yeah. Rules. This this is like lightning round material. It's like white laces are red, like members only. Red, like yeah, red laces are racist. White laces are peace punk. Uh, yellow laces mean you kill the cop, which couldn't really? have happened too no, often. No, I missed that. <laughs> Green, I think, were like eco dudes. It was, it was a very conformist subculture. And yet a rainbow coalition. Of sorts, yeah, clearly, at yeah. least from the ankles down. Well, it's easier to be a woman now than it was to be a punk then. Yeah, true. Fewer, you just say it. Yeah. It's, it's one trip to the doctor. One trip. Yeah. Uh, it was straight edge? No. Not a straight edge. We guy. used to take, we used to draw squiggly lines on our hands, and then we would, the center would be gone from the salt of tequila shots. So, so we were like anti-straight anti edge. anti-X. Yeah. Yes, on the palms. All right. We are, we are viciously dating ourselves and, <laughs> and having fun doing it. Um, you said the the death of cool was back in 2010. That's when the book came out. Um, I'm going to sort of use this to get into uh, the whole gnarly Vice story, which hopefully we can lay out. So so cool died in 2010. Vice went on uh, to some people reached its peak after that. Yeah. Um, how did how did that feel to you watching that unfold? Well, uh, truthfully, it hurt my feelings. <laughs> I was very upset. I wanted them to die, literally and figuratively, right after I left. The, in that the, order. The yeah, no, f figuratively first, then literally. I wanted them to have cancer. Um, it was a, not a good split. I was very bitter. And uh, they started really, like what happened was I was the content guy and I wanted there to be this tension between sales and content. And then once I was taken out of the equation, sales could flourish and money could come in and they... You know, they started going for the, the babysitter dollar, the young lady dollar, and they did a really good job and made tons of money. And I was very angry about it. Did you see at a certain point the, the, the imperative, the logical imperative of sales sort of move out of like a cash grab mentality and more toward what ends, ended up being sort of like, like woke fan service? Like that kind of I think of those are the same happening. thing. I think if you're really into sales, you want young women because no one spends more money than them. And what are, what are young women into? The wokest stuff you could possibly imagine. So the, the sales team focused the brand more on that stuff. And then I think there was also, uh, at the same time, there was the whole news thing, which I never found interesting. The whole like, let's go to Syria and look at these people who make hash. Like, I don't care. You didn't like any of that. I hated all that. You, I, I don't you, like the non-Western world. I think it should sink into the sea. You wanted the skateboarders in the in the drained pool somewhere outside of Yeah, uh, of I Albany. only care about the West. If I'm reading an article about a mudslide in Sri Lanka, I just my eyes roll back in my head. I don't care about them. Okay. I don't think anyone does if they're honest with themselves. 
Well, I mean, we we you know, we got this sort of like mini wavelet of of surviving conflict journalists uh, over the past couple of months, sort of wistfully looking back on on the world that was. And uh, you know, these are like sort of wars. They're like the kind of wars where like you know someone who had had done like a, a ten or twelve hits on CNN could like go to and and befriend warlords and like wear the you yeah. know, wear, wear the, the bullets and do do the thing. Sit with Malcolm Nance in his uh, giant puffy yellow coat and say, yeah. they usually come in threes. Hang on, hang on. One, two. Uh, the problem with war now is we don't even know what's real and what's fake. That's, I mean, that's mission accomplished, right? That's, <laughs> that's what they want. Uh, speaking of not knowing the difference between real and fake, it seems like the sales team from Vice then like proceeded to move over to become the sales team at Target, if your thesis is correct. Yeah. Yeah, are, are you a target say, shopper for the family? I'm so confused by all this. So the general like insider take is they have to go woke to borrow money from BlackRock. So taking a 20 billion hit, a 9 billion hit isn't a big deal because you're still in BlackRock's good books and you have to be in their good books by having ESG, right? You have to have woke stuff. Right. But that just doesn't sit right with me. How could a company lose 9 billion, 20 billion and it not be a big deal? And why is it a given that BlackRock, you need to loan, borrow money from BlackRock to survive as a corporation? I don't, I don't get the, the economics of it. Well, yeah, so it's hard to know whether it's real or just an illusion. Yeah, what the hell is going on? My, I personally think it's women in the workforce doing a bad job. And that Bud Light chick was like, let's get Dylan Mulvaney because he's like super popular and we'll kind of de-jock Bud Light. And then she basically just crashed a, an 18-wheeler into a brick wall. That terrible yeah, decision. I mean, it just just the pain of seeing like generations of women who hated their fathers for working these like terrible jobs, then ending up working jobs still more terrible than their father <laughs> yeah. would ever have. have That's accepted. all woke is. It's daddy issues. It's revenge on dad. Smash the patriarchy is smash the patriarch. It's just it's basic Freud. They're just mad at dad. All right, let's go back to the the very origins of Vice. Okay. This is your brainchild. You're like kind of Canadian, I guess like really Canadian at the time and became like somewhat incredibly less Canadian. Canadian. Incredibly Canadian. Um, what, what Was there like a moment? Was there like a, a, a moment when this sort of like brand identity descends to you and you say like this is the thing that there needs to be or did it just kind of like ooze up? Well, there was a major moment. Um, we were called Voice of Montreal, and it was a scam. These Haitians were getting money from the government to promote diversity in a 16-page newsprint uh, uh, newspaper. And so we were supposed to write about the Polish parade and the Jewish parade and the Muslim parade. But Sarouche and I, the guy who, who literally started it, uh, just made it about skateboarding and punk and stuff, and the stuff we wanted to talk about. It was more like a zine inspired by Jim Goad's zine, Answer Me. Uh, there was a lot of really dark stuff at the time too. Like there was Fucked magazine and yeah. I don't know how much I can say. Sewer Cunt was a big magazine at the time. Hate was a magazine. Um, and uh, we were sort of writing that. So we should just quit heroin and he, he was in a really dark place because he wasn't releasing endorphins anymore. But anyway, that was, that was ticking along. And because it was a welfare scam, they didn't want us to grow. We were like the goose that gave the golden egg. So they were getting money to employ us. They were siphoning it all, giving us 20% of what they got or whatever the cut they got. And they didn't want us to get marketing stuff. So I hired my buddy Shane Smith that I'd grown up with yeah. since we were kids. And I said, dude, we can't grow here. We're stuck at 16 pages and they don't want us to grow. So he came in, he fired the sales girl and he just started cooking with gas. And then he said, we got to start mailing these out to show people that you know we exist. And... Uh, 
Then we came up with this idea. We said, if they don't let us start spending money, you got to spend money to make money. If they don't let us mail out the Voice of Montreal, we're going to quit and then start our own magazine called Vice. And I was driving with my buddy who was a tree, he owned a tree planting company, Marcus Saunders, and I told him the ultimatum. And he goes, why have an ultimatum? Just do it. And I was 25 at the time. And I thought, you know, when you're a young man, when you're 25, you're still a child. You're still a teenager. Definitely. Like the just do it thing. Now more than ever. Yeah, we're going so, yeah, now more than ever. But back in 95 to say like, yeah, we're done with you and you're not going to sue me. I'm going to change the name from voice device and you're over. We're doing this ourselves. That was just like such a brave thing to do. And I thought, yeah, why not? So I called Sheena Solution. I go, let's call ourselves Vice and just move out. And they did, they did threaten to sue us. We had to pay them like three grand a month for a year or something. But that to me was the biggest turning point was that no more ultimatums. We're doing this ourselves. And then you go to New York and take the scam to America. And that you'd think that would be the bigger one in my yeah. memory. But that was like, we had an investor who poured in, he gave us a million bucks uh, for 25%. and moved us to New York, paid for everything. We're, we're on the 35th street. We had an entire city block was our office. Okay, half a city block, sorry. Um, it was kind of like the, the original Glenn Beck Studios, actually. And the guy was a, I think he was a scammer. So we were bankrupt in two years. I think he had a pyramid scheme going on. He, he helped the, uh, invest in the CGI company that did Jurassic Park, and he made a fortune with that, but he blew it all. So we were back to nothing in no time. So I, that's why I don't see the investment as so consequential, because it was like a three-year time of hemorrhaging cash, and it, it wasn't us running the show. It was DIY. It wasn't DIY anymore. And I liked when we went bankrupt, because we moved to Brooklyn. We were in a, a warehouse of one of our clients. And it was back to the early Montreal days. And we yeah. rebuilt the company from scratch, and that would be 2002 around. Still scam mindset at that time? Still scam mindset? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we were always hustlers. Like, I didn't like the original welfare scam. That mm -hmm. was weird that we were on with the Haitians. Um, but, but that was kind of the, the portal through which everything somehow flowed. Sort of. That's life in Montreal. Montreal is like, people think of it as just a boring Canadian town, but Montreal has got the most dangerous Hells Angels. The, the, the government is all basically Sicily. Like it's the most corrupt government north of Reggio de Calabria. It's, it's, they run the ports because it's a big port, right? Yeah. So it's got, you know, centuries of corruption in it. It's really old too. It's 400 years old. So, and they hate the English. So if you are, if you speak French and they can detect an English accent, which is my French, you're not getting a job. If you speak English and you're terrible at it, you're getting a job. So there's, there's a, a, a prejudice there. It's almost like apartheid. So to survive in, in Montreal or anywhere in Quebec as an Anglophone, you've got to be a hustler. And I think that, that, you know, being unwanted in a province helped us thrive in New York because we were used to, you know, just going by the seat of our pants. Yeah, and that was like a tough scene to roll into in the late 90s. People were very sort of territorial about who they were and what neighborhoods they were theirs. Yeah, well, especially Williamsburg. Yeah. So we left Manhattan, went to Williamsburg. That was like, I saw this Puerto Rican teenager just smash a guy in the back of the head with a golf club and he was knocked unconscious. There was no bank machines at that time and there was no, cabs wouldn't go there. If you met a girl in the city and you're like, want to come back to my place and in uh, Greenpoint, Greenpoint she's like, uh, no, that's no. as bad as Staten Island. But we built it up, and I, I think we gentrified Williamsburg. We, you know, writing the do's and don'ts. I'm taking pictures of people on the street, 
and then that starts becoming the hot spot. Then the gays move in and they start renovating warehouses. Well, first it's the artists because they need the warehouse space. Then the gays come in and then the hipsters follow the gays. And then once the Asians are in, you know, you're finished. It's the whole creative class life cycle has, yeah, it's has, done. has come and gone. It's good. I like, I like gentrification. Yeah. And, and you talk to the Puerto Ricans there and they're like, man, before you white people came here, like I couldn't walk my kids to school without getting mugged. We love you guys. Thank you for making this place. So livable. do you think that there's like a, this is a cycle that's always going to continue or is it, is it burned out? I mean, like, you know, technology is kind of just wiped the minds of, of so many, like, you know, that, that hipster demographic that things are different. People don't leave the house. They don't want to go out as much. They have the yoga mat under one arm. Like, yeah, I'm is really it ever worried gonna... about it. Yeah. I, I, like, look at accents. Black people in Seattle used to talk like Jimi Hendrix. Hey, man, what's going on? I'm from Seattle, man. I'm just like a hippie dude. And now they talk like they're from the South Bronx because of the internet and social media. So we're not regional anymore. And I think you need regions to have culture or else it's like this homo homogeneity. Homogeneous. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, when I was young, you'd, you'd hear about this band. Oh, there's uh, the replacements. Oh, where are they from? Minneapolis, the Midwest. And then you, you, in your brain, you go, oh, that's that Husker Du, you know, Midwest scene with Dyke There was Cruiser a sound. There was a sound for every region, at least it. sometimes more than one sound. And I've noticed when I look up new bands today, you, it takes you like a few paragraphs to find out where they're from. It's right. not a thing anymore. Yeah, they're and from I don't like camp. that. I think the New York accent is dying. Yeah. You, you hear some blue collar dude from South Brooklyn who's like, yo, it's crazy. Look, look at my kid. You got to be my kid. This guy's nuts. And he comes over and he goes, hi, how you doing? I'm his kid. And you're like, where's your accent, bro? Gone. 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 Yeah. Homogenized. It's, it's like those European immigrants didn't want their kids to learn their, their language because they wanted them to be American. Yeah. And now it's, yeah, it's training much. You know Jacob Siegel at all? I'm Tablet? Familiar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's like one of the last guys who like really talks <laughs> like this. James, I, I don't understand. And, and, you know, it's like sh almost shocking coming yeah, out of like a really, guy who's, you know, under 60. I find really 60 charming. Yeah. And I, totally. Like, I want to put them, freeze them in amber. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the temptation is to like take the real culture and just sort of like abstract it and pot it and merchandise it. And uh, I don't know if there's any escape from that. Maybe there is. I, culture needs to be balkanized. You need to have different groups that aren't friends. Don't be friends. Don't mix. There's too much. Like when you, when you mix all the colors together, what do you get? You get diarrhea brown. Mm, yeah. I'm like Mao. Let a thousand flowers bloom. Uh, a thousand petty <laughs> enmities, <laughs> yeah. keeping block by block on their own on their own page. Yeah, I, I I can see it. I can see it. And you know, I mean, I don't know. You you you're looking at like Twitter today or yesterday, whatever it was, and it's uh, the Glendale Armenians versus Antifa. That's my favorite thing. And in the world. that there's some some block to block uh, street brawling for you. Yeah, that's great. It, I love that too because not that it's great culture, but. I just love, love seeing the left cannibalize itself and get into bed with the wrong people. It's like when Kissinger was asked about the Iran-Iraq war, he said, ugh, can't they both lose? And when I see the Armenian Muslims arguing about LGBT and then the Antifa fighting them, I'm like, perfect, go destroy each other. Yeah, f fortunately, uh, Glendale's Ar Armenian's uh, Christians, but uh, you know, oh, the, right, you, yes. well, you got the Muslims in, in uh, in the UK in and in Canada and in Canada and who in are Canada sort of like the last yeah. uh, last line of defense up there, which is sort of yeah. Shocking who knew I'd be right. I'd be loving Muslims so much? Yeah, well, and Armenians. Yeah, uh, is there going to be a new vice ever? Then anything like it? 
No, I was just talking about this earlier. Print is dead, but I think maybe print should be dead. Maybe the written word should die. Okay. I can't believe go, I'm saying that. Go on, that. go on. Okay, so I'm looking up Mexican jumping beans, right? Okay, this is good. And I have the Wikipedia definition, because I was like, my kid was like, why do they jump? What is that about? And I go, I don't think there, I think there's like a larva in a bean, but I don't know what the bean... So there's the Wikipedia definition. It lists exactly what's going on. Boring, hard to f figure out. I look up a YouTube video. I see the pods that the Mexican jumping beans are just larvae for a moth, but they chose this particular bean because it's got sharp edges on it. And they get in it so you, they can't be eaten. And they seal themselves in. But the great thing about the sharp edges is when the sun is coming on them, they can move out of the way. And if they're round, they just roll down the hill, right? But the sharp edges, they can move up. So when the sun's here, they move into the shade. When the sun's there, they move out of the shade. I'm watching this on YouTube. I can see the larvae smash its head against the side of the bean to move over. I can see the bean. I sh they show me a bunch of different experiments where they had like a, a, a block of ice and, some, and a heated pad and how they would move back and forth depending on what the temperature was. When you move the ice, they move you know, near it to get away from too much heat. And I'm like, that's way better than the written word. Or, or what about this? That, that show on HBO uh, it was, um, it wasn't Philip Seymour Hoffman. It was the other guy who's just like him, who was in that wine movie where they crash a car into a tree. Um, what was his name? He looks like- The guy who looks like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Basically. Yeah, the, the really good actor. Yeah. He played, uh, anyway, he was doing a thing on John Adams, right? And it was... Giamatti? Yeah, Giamatti. Paul okay. Giamatti. That's it. I was thinking of the other guy. Yeah, they're the same. They're all the same guy. Fat, good actors. And, it's a uh, type. It's a type. And he, I'm watching the, 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 the docu-series docu on HBO, and I'm like, I can see their buckled shoes. I can see the carts they're in. Uh, I can see what the women are wearing. I'm not using my imagination, really. But aren't I better off than reading this story? And they go, oh, no, it's good for your brain to use your imagination. I'd be imagining the wrong shoes. I just saw this on a movie, and now I have a much clearer perception of what it was like back then for John Adams. Yeah. So, Vice Print, Dead, Long Live Mexican Jumping Bean YouTube videos. Exactly. Got it. Got it. I think the written word is, is dead. Well, I mean, it's definitely dying. I, I did a column for 15 years at Tacky Mag. I don't think more than, you know, 100 people, 200 people would read each, each article. I do a video on YouTube, it gets like tens of thousands of views. Maybe it's just going back to being the bespoke product for uh, the, the, the smartest, wisest people in the world. Yeah. Sitting, sitting in their monasteries. Yeah, I like them. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. There's a, there's a meritocracy with YouTube. It's hard to, to argue with. It's amazing that YouTube works so well and Google works like so poorly. Yeah, something fishy's going on there. Something very strange. You look up like Jan 6. And after three pages, you've seen all the articles and they start repeating themselves. If you recall, around 2005, you could never get to the end of anything, let alone an insurrection. Yeah. Well, that was like the whole gimmick. Like at the bottom, it was like Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had like all the page numbers. And you finish the mainstream things. Now do the blogs. Remember there was a separate blog Google? And you would look up a subject and it wouldn't right. be CNN. It would be what the blogs are saying. That's another 300 pages of information. Yeah. It's not like that anymore. You can finish uh, 
You could probably finish Mexican jumping beans in like four pages. Yeah, Google doesn't even have a page anymore. It's just sort of like an infinite scroll at yeah. this point with like modules. They're breaking it all down. I don't like that. I don't like it either. It's fishy um, though. It is. It this is. is the big question with everything that we're talking about is what is what percentage is incompetence and what percentage is some grand globalist scheme where they're using us like marionettes? And I'm constantly trying to figure that out. Yeah, well, that's the disorienting thing. It's like, it's just the, the, the boundary between reality and fantasy or between what's an op and what's not is just so permeable. Yeah. That Are you, you stupid can... or evil? Because you're ruining my country. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine, uh, uh, Albanian uh, by birth, left Albania, came to the US, got a job at Google. And he was like super excited because this was going to be like the apex of America. And he, he knew about America and he like watched the stuff and was familiar with the culture and came to the U.S. and was excited to be in the U.S. Um, and he gets to Google and he's like walking around. And he's like, where are all the Americans? He's yeah. like, these people are, they don't act like Americans. They don't talk like Americans. They don't think like Americans. They don't do things other Americans do. Like what planet is this? What country is this? And is that just cheap labor or is that a big plan? Every time you read about Twitter or Google or some big tech catastrophe, they're always like, well, Rajiv Shandar is out at Twitter and he'll be replaced by Rajiv Ningodong. Like th th there's not one normal name in any big tech story. Well, you got all, all the, the, the women of corporate America are still clinging to their, their normal names. Yeah, but remember the head of Twitter's like uh, information? She was on Joe Rogan a couple of times. She's like... Nadil Prakash or something. True, true, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of these corporations, like they want someone sort of like palatable to be the face of the operation. Uh, OpenAI did this. Uh, you know, they found a uh, personable Armenian to just like put out in front yeah. of the cameras. I went to Google once for a pitch meeting. You had to sign a bunch of NDAs just to walk in the building. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I saw one black person in the entire building. Yeah, well, they're failing. That's probably why I have to failing. sign NDAs. Yeah, that's right, probably so. Busted. Um, I want to talk about this. Like, I guess I just violated the NDA. It's it's done. <laughs> it's over. Whoops. You've been served. Um, at some point after you get your sort of sea legs in New York, uh, the uh, the gentrification begins. The brand Vice starts to take on a sort of life of its own. Uh, political categories a little sort of weirder than they are today, or more fluid. Um, did you realize that you were starting to become like uh, something that people who would identify themselves as being firmly on the left were like really into? Well, the beauty of life back then is Giuliani's New York was obviously very cleaned up, but it still had that sort of Joe Coleman dangerous element to it. And I don't mean that you're going to get stabbed. I mean that you could be right and left. Like this this polarization is is basically post-Trump. Back then... We had to, there's Tom Hazelmeyer over at Amphetamine Reptile Records. There was Johnny Ramone. There was Gangrene. There was, there was lots of right-wing dudes. And, you know, Tom Hazelmeyer named his daughter Reagan. And we would just be like, the lefties would just be like, oh, that's that right-wing guy. Like, we weren't enemies. Uh, and in Vice, I had an article called The New Conservatives. I think it was 2002. And I, you know, I was drastically changed by 9-11. And I read Pat Buchanan's Death of the West, and that made me care a lot more about politics. But we had, you know, various races of people wearing patriotic clothing, and we were like, we're the new conservatives. We're Buchananites. We're, we're, you know, isolationists and nationalists, and we love this country. And that, no one freaked out about that. That would get you canceled today. But uh, 
I, I don't think I went to the right, really. I think everyone else went to the left. Yeah. Who do you think is out there right now, sort of at the highest level, who's representing that constituency well? The new right? Uh, well, sort of like the, you know, I, I didn't I didn't move right, like everyone else moved left. The sort of, you know, I remembers a time when things were a little bit more tightly woven together, and now everything seems to be... I think John Doyle is a, a big brain uh, on the right now. I think it's important to be young. Uh, like Mark Levin, of course, is a genius. So is Mark Stein. But like, they're just wise old men that you climb up a mountain to and they've got a long white beard and they tell you some sage advice and then you go back down the mountain. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think they have a lot of influence as far as like changing the culture. I think you gotta be young for that. And John Doyle is great for that. I'm a, I'm a Zionist, I'm not an anti-Semite, but I love Nick Fuentes and I like arguing with him. Zionist for Fuentes, you heard yes. it here first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, like in politics, political figures. I mean, you know, these these people are probably inevitably going to be older. Not all of them. Do you like RFK? Like, do you see him as kind of picking up the? Yeah, I, I the hate to sound shallow, banner? but I don't think his voice is going to pass. I mean, you got to understand how shallow voters are. They're all they're mostly women. They voted for Barack Obama because he's cool and black. They voted for Justin Trudeau because he's handsome. Not, they don't know, not one woman who voted for Barack Obama or Justin Trudeau knows any of his policies. Well, you only see these guys when you turn on the TV, you get sort of 30 seconds with them and you want something that kind of looks You're right. a hunk. You're yeah. in. You've got a Native American tattoo, Justin Trudeau. You're in. Does he? Yes. Where? Here. And it's like the Northwest, like nothing to do with him. Okay. He's Quebec. It should be a Mohawk yeah, wrong, or something. Yeah, wrong coast. Ugh. No, he's, he's the Zoolander prime minister. It's, it's embarrassing. But... I, his voice is, I don't know, man. Isn't that going to be a major problem? Uh, I don't, it hasn't been a problem so far. It's it early sounds days. like he just finished a big cry. He, <laughs> uh, well, maybe he did. I mean, maybe the, the awful <laughs> grace I, of God. I, besides his... that shallow thing, which don't, don't, uh, don't sleep on shallow when ladies are involved. The 19th Amendment allowed shallow into the White House. But uh, I love the anti-CIA stuff. The CIA killed my Is that a, a dig at Warren Harding? Is that what that was? No, no, that was a dig at broads. Okay. Um, I love his anti-FBI CIA stuff. I just, I've heard some other weird stuff like talking about these machines that can harness the energy of the universe and the cancer. Yeah. They won't, don't want to cure cancer because it makes too much money. Yeah. It's a little too out there for me. Yeah. I'm well, pretty... I mean, you know, the, 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 the voice or whatever, like un, under normal circumstances might, might be like, oh, it didn't poll test well. But now anyone can be turned into a meme sort of without warning and, and sometimes without clear justification. And, and I, you know, I, it's, it's not hard for me to imagine that the voice would, would turn into go from like a liability to some sort to of something like, cool. Yeah. Something yeah. Cool. That happened with Trump. It did. I mean, his asshole behavior became something we loved. And the voice. You got to love the voice. So melodic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it just becomes a hallmark and then uh, people run with it. And they called him Darth Vader. And then we were like, yeah, we like Darth Vader. That's yeah, cool. Good, actually. So as far as people running for president, I love anyone that wants less government. Like I'll take Ted Cruz, anyone. Uh, I obviously like Trump best, but DeSantis is great too. As far as young people in the in the new right scene, I I love Ashley St. Clair and Elijah Schaefer and and Sav, and I think it's a pretty exciting time for all these. People. Even Crowder, um, doesn't like me, but I I'm, I like that he's what he's doing. There, that is not a qualification. You do not need to be liked in order to. Like. No, that's the best thing about being over fifty. Yeah, like your feelings are you don't really have them anymore. Like if I see. School of Rock, I'll ball my eyes out because it's people overcoming adversity to win. And if I see a long distance commercial, I'll cry. 
But as far as like uh, someone not liking you, you're just like, awesome, awesome. I like you. <laughs> you think you think Trump really has a chance? You think they're going to let him in? Yes. I mean, you, they're going to they try will, to. They will let him this in. This charge seems like a really big deal. I poo-pooed it at first, but the more I look into it, the bigger of a deal it seems. But we were just talking outside. I think you can run the country from prison. A felony doesn't mean it's it's been done. You can't you can, vote. You can run cartels from prison. You can run uh, <laughs> yeah. sort of corrupt cops from prison. You can run lots of stuff. Yeah, you get a half hour call before the the voiceover comes in and tells you <laughs> to, to call back. Orange man, orange suit. <laughs> it's a meme waiting to happen. Uh, no, no, no inklings at the time uh, when when Trump was just like the big man in, in New York City when you were there. The, did, did you ever sort of see something in him that you thought would would evolve? Into I what picked it is him now? out right at the beginning. Yeah. Like I was with Ted Cruz for a second. And then when I saw him talking, I was like, this guy's going to win. And everyone at Fox, I was doing Red Eye a lot and, and other hits, Sean Hannity and stuff and, and uh, Kennedy. And they were always like, your man just tanked himself. Your man just, they would always say that. It's like that Fox, everyone at Fox wanted him to die. Yeah. And, Howard Stern, it's all going down. Yeah. And they're like, oh, he's done now. And I'm like, no, he's not. This is good for him. Stormy Daniels, every, there was another, there was another catastrophe every month that they thought would end him. But this is why we need someone like Trump. Ted Cruz is too nice. That's why I'm talking about dumb things like the voice, because I know we're dealing with dumb voters and Trump is a pit bull. He doesn't let you get away with anything. And that's what you need. The left are all, they're worse than spoiled brats. They're crazy ex-girlfriends and they're smashing, they're literally smashing windows of random businesses screaming their heads off about, I don't know, some fentanyl junkie who died and they think it's indicative of some sort of racist cop pattern so they burned down America. You need someone with balls. And Donald Trump, when he was a young man, he was in the South Bronx collecting rent from, from miscreants and criminals and you know risking his life. He's a tough cookie and that's what we need. Yeah, uh, and he looks better now than he did four years ago. Does, you know what? You know why Jews are so successful? Tell me. Because they're whites who don't drink. Uh, is that, is that, that's, yes. wow. Donald it's Trump, that simple, folks. Whites have incredible potential, but they kill it with booze. <laughs> that, that was Frederick Nietzsche's position. Actually, really? As well. He was hated beer, the poison of, of Europe. Like people just, you know, yeah, he was very, very I would I would probably be president right now if I didn't drink so much. Yeah. Well, there's still time. Yeah. I mean, I'm drunk now. I was drinking Perfect. the whole way here. Okay. And your voice sounds great. It does. Well, that's, that's what happens with booze. You get that cool rasp at the back. But no, Trump has never drank because his brother was a severe alcoholic. And he's a driven guy. He's an alpha male. And I don't get why people hate him so much, really. I think my theory is that we were, it was the tyranny of the nerds in the, in the 90s with indie rock. And, you know, when I was younger, it was Square Pegs and yeah. Zit Remedy and the Vomits, whatever they're called, Degrassi Junior High. Yeah, and we Owl up, City. Yeah, we grew up with movies like Sixteen Candles where the, the alpha male with the blonde hair is the evil date rapist guy, and Ducky with the little turned up hat and the mm -hmm. yellow converse, he's the cool guy. And that was the norm. And then the nerds started like changing our curriculum because they got older and they became lawyers and judges. And now the whole culture was Ducky. And Trump came along and went, no, we're going back to the jocks. We're going back to mullets and wraparound sunglasses and jet skis. Okay, so you have a definition for hipster. So do you have a definition for nerd? A nerd? <laughs> so nerds and geeks are different. Yeah, very different. Right? Yeah. Geeks can be any age, and they're just someone who's obsessed with, say, Star Trek or something, like Star Wars or something. Nerds have high IQs. They're probably on the spectrum. 
they can't really look you in the eyes and they invent everything in this room. So nerds are like the numbers people and the geeks are like the arts people. Yeah. Okay. And geeks are losers. Well, especially in a time when technology is eating the world, it's like that's really good for nerds. It's like yeah, really, if you're really if you're playing video games at my age or you're collecting action figures, you should just kill yourself. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of what seems to be animating like wokeness or whatever is is just like instead of Revenge of the Nerds, it's like Revenge of the Theater Kids. You know, like yeah, diminishing Fat, prospects, ugly, like bots replacing you. Like what doofuses. do you do? It started with video games. I think the trans thing started with video games. Okay, I'm you're, here for this thing. You're playing a video game as a woman for mm -hmm. six hours. You're a woman now in your mind. Like, I've heard dumb excuses with, with Fortnite where they go, no, I like being a woman because I'm thinner, so bullets hit me The hitbox, bro. It's yeah. narrower, bro. Yeah, I, the box is, the, I'm guessing it's a wireframe. It's the same for everyone, right? <sighs> and uh, I saw this other game my coworker was playing where he's some chick running through, like, dinosaur times in like a sexy loincloth and stuff with a great ass it's the stats bro it's better stats i'm like dude you're a chick when i was a kid and you're playing street fighter if you chose what's her name chin ling people would look at you like you just ordered a bud light like it's just not done well you can also just like spam the the lightning kick and like back the opponent into the corner <laughs> i still haven't that figured upside out upside down spinny yeah dude no just just horrible you know how you do the adukin you go down, you scoop it like a horseshoe, and then hit it. Yes. Yeah. Spoken like a true man who hates video games. Well, I bought Street Fighter for my kids. It's in the basement. It's a classic. It's in the basement where these filthy things belong. <laughs> uh, so, so there's like pivot happening to continue with the, the Vice narrative. The lefties are sort of embracing, but they're not really lefties like they used to be. Um, and then you start getting like these other corporations climbing into the yeah. game. You start getting the BuzzFeed, you start getting like the HuffPost Live. Like I did a tour of duty there. So it's like the, the guy who wasn't like the others. And, you know, Ariana just like breezing in sometimes and then breezing out. And that thing started to go down. She totally just like walked, you know, just cashed out. Became like, I don't know if she was like setting up uh, napping pods at Uber or whatever. Her job became but just like the way that that kind of scene became a sort of industrial product in its own right that was like pumped and dumped it was really just like horrifying to watch it unfold wasn't well it? they eschew meritocracy our job as media dudes is to have a new take on something and all those places you just listed was the same woke garbage talking about white supremacy all the time and ignoring things like children being having stories read to them by whores like, take the homosexuality out of it. That's a stripper. That's a woman with thigh-high boots on with a beard. Uh, we're not mad at the gay thing. We're mad at the kid thing. And the, and the, the Dominion voting machines, like, at a time when we need strong media to talk, Tucker it seems to be one of the only people doing it as far as, like, big numbers and Glenn Beck. Uh, those guys are doing these tropes about racism and 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 how important it is to have multiple bathrooms and stuff and people just don't want that like you can't feed them popcorn every day for breakfast lunch and dinner so they you, when you shoe America this is America and we them. can try we'll have fast food at every meal thank you very much <laughs> okay you're gonna we'll get, get it we'll get it down to pure corn syrup you're going to be a, farting yeah well, going to be farting America's going to be farting that might be the we new can count on that. logo that's right <laughs> America you're gonna fart yeah uh, okay, well, so help me understand like how you tease out this thing where it's like, well, it's not it's not the gay thing, it's this other thing, and you see sort of like the 
the uh, the conquest of of public life by pride regalia and so forth. Like, how do you sort of navigate that? Like, what what works for you? The gays and what ruined their matter? brand. We used to love gays. Paul Lynn, Liberace, YMCA, Judas Priest. Everyone was cool with homosexuals. And then they got involved in the kids, and we started hearing about minor attracted persons. And they said, I want to take my most outrageous, like, say that it was punk. There's punks who have, like, spiky hair, and then there's, like, the crusty punks with, like, one dread here and facial tattoos. The crusty punks are the weirdest of the punk world, right? Drag queens are the, the psychos of the gay world. Like, we used to go to these circuit parties in Montreal that was, like, a three-day gay party, and we'd go there to prey on the fag hags because no one's with them, and it's these straight girls that are bored out of their minds. And the eagle seeks his prey. Which gender, gender identity was this? Uh, the, the fag hag uh, pursuer? Me. Yeah, okay. You, you, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And we'd get tons of chicks. It was awesome. Dance and then go take them home, whatever. But I remember at those things, there was the trannies, drag queens, whatever you want to call them. It was the same thing back then. And they were like on meth. And I remember seeing one puke, another one slipped in it. And they would fight all the time. Like they were way over there. Normal gays didn't even talk to them. And now they're the, the representatives of the gay movement. And now those same ones are reading to kids. Well, I mean, is this not sort of evidence of like the, what kind of, of reshaping effects technology is having on our lives? Like you can't sort of, yeah, there's that thing where it's like, I say I'm a woman. I've always been a woman. You must uh, uh, acknowledge ritually that I'm a But really like where the rubber hits the road is, so to speak, is you are sort of becoming this kind of cyborg thing where the technology goes into your body and it fundamentally changes your sort of equipment and then like that elevates you, right? To like the top of, you're like at the vanguard of the transformation. Well, it's a great way if you're boring and white to be a minority yeah. and have an identity all of a sudden. I mean, it sucks being white. No one, no one cares about you. You don't, you're the loser. But if you're trans, all of a sudden you're like better than black and American Indian. Yeah. Okay. I mean, let, let's. Okay. So we did hipster and we did nerd. Can, can we do white? Does it even mean anything anymore? Just, oh, I got a crazy a definition yeah, of white. Okay. Good, good, good. Let's go. You ready for this? Ninety-three percent of America is white. I'm writing this down. Ninety-three. Okay. How's that? How's that pencil out? Everyone's white, but uh, there's a certain like you can complain about racism if you're black and below middle class. So that's seven percent of America. I would say. Poor and black is 7% of America. Everyone else, no one cares if they move in next door, Asians, Lebanese. Like you have these, you have these Peruvians talking about living in America as a minority. You're like, what are you talking about? Does anyone get mad when an Asian moves in next door? They're white. Yeah, well, I mean, this, so this is, this is a source of controversy because like, you know, in states like California where the, you, if you're too Asian, you sort of lose your... Your privileges, like affirmative action, forget about it. Quotas, no, like you don't even get treated always as a as a quote unquote minority. Um, and there's this phrase "white adjacent" that they like to use. Yeah, and I it call seems that like white. Seems like you're saying white adjacent means you are living adjacent to a white person. And I they want think like of you with abortion. I only want to talk about the 23 weeks. I want to get the argument away from nine months, which it's at now in New York and Canada and all over the place. I want to get it down to viability outside the womb. And with racism. I want to get it down to poor blacks. But let's talk about if they suffer, if they're, and I don't believe they are. I don't believe in racism in America in 2023, post 1970. I don't believe in it. It doesn't exist, but, or to any consequential level. But I'm definitely not listening to 
uh, Japanese American talk about racism. I'm not listening to any Hispanics talk about racism. If we can just get it down to poor blacks, are they being, are they experiencing prejudice? Are they experiencing prejudice? Everyone else lives the same life as whites. So I don't think they are, but I'm open to discussing it with that little ball of 7%. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. Do you think, do you think people feel like it, it, that's true, but it's also like life is getting worse for everyone? So like, yeah, everyone's kind of becoming white, but also like white is becoming like worse, downwardly mobile, like less prestige, like more yeah, problems, yeah, drug abuse, definitely, like all that. Well, the problem with all these, like we always had woke, we always had these radical blue haired lesbians, but they had no power. Now they're judges. Now they're mainstream. And what do they do? They do affirmative action. And we saw what affirmative action did to South Africa. It's an absolute war zone. And you look at Eric Adams' cabinet, like he just hired his sister-in-law. He hired his brother as head of not racism. He's hiring some chick who rented him a room 10 years ago. She's handling all the uh, police pensions. She has no clue what she's doing. Populism. Yeah, like it, the number of black female judges in America now are like five times what they are in the population. It's, it's, it, it's not good for meritocracy. So I think that one of the biggest problems in America right now is this this hatred of meritocracy. And it's based on the assumption that there was all these qualified black female judges and we were like, not on my watch, boy. I know she graduated Alma Cum Laude or whatever you call it, but uh, I ain't have no black judges on my watch. And then we finally opened the floodgates and the, the American Indian astronauts can finally get the job that they've deserved all this time. It's the opposite of the truth. Are you worried that like all the planes are going to crash when the, the they are generation? Dude. Okay, yeah, they so are already happening. We had to, a woman just got sucked up into an engine because she was stoned, and they told her a hundred times, "Don't go near those engines." Blood all over the tarmac. We got t two guys were killed on a bridge at a, a an Austin airport. We just had that Southwest and the FedEx planes almost collide into each other. We had a plane coming into, I think it was Honolulu. It plummeted towards the water. Like Five hundred feet, I think. Yeah, wrench itself out. There was no record of talking to air traffic controllers or any of the passengers. Right? They're like, yeah, here's an NDA for those not guys. Not recorded. It wasn't right. a big deal. No. And you look at the the graph, and it was like, meow, whoa. Oops. And you talk to air traffic controllers and they're like, yeah, the old fuddy-duddies are leaving and they're looking behind them going, you guys don't know how to do this job. Even the mechanics of the planes is affirmative action now. And they're bringing in Hispanic and other people to do these things where a thousandth of an inch is of the utmost crucial importance. And it's off. And there's a can of Modelo lying next to it. <laughs> The we're, world, we're, the world we've needs nerds. Idiocracy in the skies. Yeah, for we sure. need the nerds to keep these things going. I mean, like we've got issues where it's it's becoming harder to like maintain our nuclear arsenal. Like yes. all these kinds of things about how to actually mix the mix the ingredients right so it's like stable but but still fissile. And like I don't know. Well, they can't find airplane mechanics. They don't exist anymore. They're bringing in guys who are like eighty years old and say, "We'll take you to the airport in a limousine." And we'll pay you $500 an hour. And it's like, I'm 90 years old, man. I don't care about your planes no more. I talk in a transatlantic accent is how old I am. Yeah, that is old. There's the, the last regional dialects, maybe. <laughs> uh, tell, me about, uh, tell me about your stuff. Tell me about Get Off My Lawn. Are they getting off your lawn? Um, you censored TV. Is, is censored, censored? How's it, how's it fit together? The Get Off My Lawn mentality I have is like, I was at the airport today and I'm seeing Crocs everywhere and flip-flops and men's toes. And I feel like a curmudgeon from 1950 who traveled here and doesn't even understand. Like, I don't understand half the looks. These eyelashes that come out uh, six inches from your face, I I'm not annoyed, I'm confused. 
Do you know how that you look exactly like a clown? Seems like a real drag. <laughs> but it, it's a little pirate ship I built. Uh, it was really hard. I, we had to do all kinds of fancy paperwork because I can't bank and I, I'm canceled. I, we can't advertise. We've been hacked a bunch of times. I had to change the URL from freespeech.tv to censored.tv. It's they're really out to get me, man. But you're not going to let that happen. No, and I, I, you know, I talked to, I'm in the Knights of Columbus, mm -hmm. and it's all old dudes, and yeah. they're always like, I'm glad I'm on the back, wait, I don't know why I'm doing a southern <laughs> accent. They're like, I'm glad I'm on the back nine. You, you and your kids, America's done. You're fucked. Your kids, they're really fucked. And my dad just yesterday was like, I'm glad I'm on the back nine. I'm not going to be here for too long, and I'm happy about that, because you're, you, 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 and I'm like, Dad, we fought the English for 300 years. America... The Brits, the white trash, fought the Indians for 300 years, and we won. So you think this is like a long fight? So oh, we, yeah. We, centuries? I'm gonna, I'm, if I how, was a boar in South go? Africa, I'd yeah. still be fighting the good fight. You know, you have, to, you have to die with your boots on. I end every show with, I go, get fired, get in trouble, be brave, and never stop fighting. And if you are a man wearing Crocs, you will not die with you're your boots on. You're not a man. You're, you're not registered. You think a, a candidate could win election on a no man toes platform? Yes, they, they did. There was an African dictator who hated flip flops so much that the military would make you eat your flip flop at gunpoint. I want him to run. That is I hope he's still visionary <laughs> leadership opposing the flip flop in Africa. We can talk if you're washing your car or you're a chef and you change into shoes after your shift. I'm open to discussing that. But wearing Crocs, walking around, what is going on? It's like dressing like a nurse outside of the hospital. I bet they stink too. Everyone thinks that these Teva sports sandals or whatever, your feet breathe. No, you still stink. Like I saw a guy wearing flip-flops the other day. I was at a meeting with him actually, to be specific. He took off his flip-flop. Okay, you want to hear the gossip? We were at Brett Easton Ellis's office and we came by to say hi. There was no chairs. So my friend sat on the floor. He's wearing flip-flops. I was like, why the fuck are you wearing those? Meeting Brett Easton Ellis here. He takes off his flip-flop and wipes it on the rug because his foot is sweaty and then puts it back. How did, how, so and I, thought, I clocked it and I saw Brett clock it. And yeah. when we were leaving, I'm like, thanks for wiping your sweaty nice. foot on his fucking rug. That's really gross. You can smell bad and look bad doing it. I've, I've known Brett for, for a number of years and he's now in his hoodie era, which is like a lot <laughs> different from, from where he was in, in 87 or 88, but still no Crocs and no flip-flops. Yeah, I was at his house, at his office, he's wearing shoes, well-dressed guy, put together. I mean, it's, it's like people come home in their jeans and then change out of their jeans to put on their basketball shorts. Cotton twill is uncomfortable. What's, this suit is tailor-made. It's, it's more comfortable than PJs. It's a great suit. It looks great. Thank I'm you sure Brett much. would appreciate your suit. Well, if, I'll if, send this If to not, him. Patrick Bateman. <laughs> I like his voice. I've always liked his voice. Yeah. It's like really just a sort of like a... But I was re-looking at American Psycho recently. Yeah. You can tell it's written by a homo. Like the whole face thing, <laughs> the creams and everything. I'm like, Metrosexual. Yeah, yeah metrosexuals don't really have a nine-step plan for maintaining their facial skin. Well, uh, I mean, that's sort of the line between metrosexuality and psychopathies. I mean, this was sort of like J.G. Ballard's terrain, right? Where it was sort of like at the end of it all, people become so mannered that they just sort of like, there's nothing left to they do. Become inhuman. But, but to become a sort of like, yeah. An I think we have the opposite problem. Psychopath. People are too human. <laughs> yeah, okay. Lounging around, picking their toes on Revealing the train. Revealing warts and all. Yeah. Yeah. Get yeah. a little shyer, America. 
Well, it's tough because like we want to actually preserve our humanity from just being totally turned into like, you know, avatars on the screen. Now, I want to get back to the, our, the greatest generation. You know, when if you asked my grandfather, your grandfather, how are you? He'd be like, what? You don't have a self. You work hard for your family. You read the newspaper after a hard day at the docks. You don't go, I'm depressed. I'm happy. I want to get a toupee and listen to jazz and get a convertible. Do that we was have, the boomers. Do we have the jobs, though, that can sustain that kind of, of civilization anymore? Did what are you saying? That we should away? just have unemployed people? I'm, just, I'm saying, like, you know, all these jobs have been sort of transformed out. I mean, yeah, you still have, like, dock workers, I guess, but the, that's all being automated. And uh, you got to have, like, a certain kind of, of working man in order to have that, that kind of society. There's right? always jobs. I mean, why are we importing the turd world to the tune of millions if there's no jobs? Let's, you know what we should do? A, civ, a, a global civil suit against China for COVID. Italy, Germany, us, everyone sues China. They say, we don't have that much money. You just asked for 30 trillion. And we go, okay, well, we're erasing our debt. And they go, no, you're not. You owe us money. And we go, no, we don't. Okay, fine. We're not making any more of your plastic crap. And we go, good. I'm going to get some WD-40, spray it on the rust belt, and get those factories. We'll make our own plastic crap. Thank you very much. And wall off China. Bye-bye. Home to Bami. Yeah, got to get rid of the Chinese drugs probably in order to, to get the Rust Belt moving again. Good. Yeah. How do you do that though? Do you, you want to go to war with the cartels? Do you like that sort of like these, these rumblings? Like we're just going to go down. Yeah. I, I, look at the El Salvador. He's got them running in perfect unison. They look like army ants. Yeah. Yeah. How do you do it, do you think? Murder. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Cold-blooded. Gangsters don't walk in perfect single file if you haven't killed for them. Yeah. We need to kill everyone who sells um, um, fentanyl. That should just be murder right out of the gate. Sometimes they don't even know it. Okay, then we'll late. kill that guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is like this is the thing with the coke thing where it's like you used to have all these these guys who would just never grow up and just always do blow and like I mean, I think it was just a couple of years ago now that like, you know, two two girls, I think they're high school girls just sort of Night out in in the valley and just dead, dead because it was. Yeah, remember was those cut. comedians? They died too. Yeah. If anyone offers you a bump now, you go, uh, "Why don't you have a bump and I'll just wait a little." <laughs> you have a royal taster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then an hour goes by, and you're like, "Can I get that toot?" Yeah. No, it's all gone. I don't know. I think oh. it's, it seems like the party's over. It's all it's all weed now. It's all like super narcotized. I don't think young people, weed. young people have ruined everything for themselves. Like they ruin sex by ODing on porn. So I don't think they fornicate much anymore. If they do, it's like anal or some crazy over the top thing that where she doesn't want to do it again. Uh, they don't drink. They don't go to bars. Talk to a, a, a FDMY guy or any fireman in the country. They're ripping out the bars and replacing them with big screens for their Xbox. That's, Remember in Animal House where they were emptying the, the frat because it was over yeah. and John Belushi's crying and then what's his name throws him a, a bottle of Jack and he chugs it. That's how I feel with Western civilization. I'm going, ah, when they drop the whiskey and it smashes on the pavement. It is sad, but maybe we can end on this note. Um, you got the kids. The kids are not all right. Uh, is, there, is there like a way that you can like reach that audience? Can you serve them content? I did. I think, but like now, like I think Ashley St. Clair, John Doyle, Nick Fuentes, Elijah Schaefer. You think they're, they're getting through? I red pilled them. They're my children. I'm responsible for that. Your spiritual children. Yes, they walk among us. Yeah, and I and and they're better than me. That's the great thing about 
culture and spawning things is that you stand on the shoulders of giants and then do a better job. Are they going young enough? What do you mean? Like, how early do you have to, like, catch a kid these days in order oh, to dude, stop them? Oh, dude, I'm glad you asked exit. me that. Because with my daughter, I said, I'm not going to get involved. How old? In, she's 16. I got 16, 14, and 10. Ooh. Girl, boy, boy. Uh, that's the bare minimum. You need at least three kids. But um, with her, I just said, go your own way. And uh, you know, if you wanted to talk about politics, I'm here. And she ended up, like, hating Trump and stuff. Because you create a vacuum when you do that. And then with the 14-year-old, the around 13, I was like... This is woke. This is garbage. And I think I may have saved him. But with the 10-year-old, he's like, yeah, the new Spider-Man was really good. It was woke, but it was all right. Like, you don't not red pill kids because you don't want kids to do politics. Because I did that, and it doesn't work. Someone else gets in there. You need to start at the age of nine. There you go. The future of media starts at age nine. Uh, I see zero hours and zero minutes on the clock. That means it is literally all the time we have, at least until next time around. If you found this conversation meaningful, please consider becoming a Blaze TV subscriber to help us create more content just like this. Go to blazetv.com and use the code zero hour 20 for $20 off your first year of Blaze TV. That was Gavin McGinnis. This is Zero Hour. I'm James Polis. May God have mercy on our souls.